This episode of The Explainer is sponsored by Daft Advantage Ads. Looking to sell your property for the best price? Daft Advantage Ads will maximise your chances. Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, why does Matt Hancock keep making headlines? Now, the UK politician may be familiar to some listeners, but many will wonder if that's due to his political career or his recent appearance on reality TV. The former UK health secretary presided over the country's response to COVID-19, but following an apology for kissing his closest aide, he resigned from that position in 2021. He had since surprised the British public by becoming a contestant on I'm a Celebrity, but the greatest surprise has come in recent days with the leaking by a journalist of a sizeable batch of Hancock's WhatsApp messages. The messages provide a not-so-flattering view of Westminster's internal political discussions regarding their COVID responses and Hancock's interactions with his colleagues. So why does this story matter? What does it say about the Conservative government's handling of the pandemic? And why is Matt Hancock still generating headlines this far out of office? To look at this story, we're joined today by Dominic McGrath, who's political correspondent with PA and formerly of this parish. Dominic, great to have you with us and thanks for today. Thanks for having me. Now, let's just give people a quick primer on Matt Hancock. He is well known, I guess, but maybe not a household name in Ireland. Can you give us a quick recap of his career before 2019? Yeah, so Matt Hancock really was a young rising star of the Conservative Party. Um, He comes from quite a traditional, modern Conservative background. His parents had a software company and he worked at the Bank of England after graduating from Oxford and Cambridge. He, of course, also became um, Chief of Staff to George Osborne, who went on to become Chancellor of the Exchequer under David Cameron. And that was a key position. Um, George Osborne became something of a mentor to him. And in 2010, when the Conservatives uh, came to power for the first time since uh, 1997, he was elected an MP representing West Suffolk. And he really did start to attract headlines, favourable coverage, speculation that could potentially go all the way. I think one um, profile of him around 2014 even said he'd become prime minister one day. Now, he rose up to the ranks of junior ministerial roles. Uh, He campaigned for Remain in 2016. It's probably worth noting that that was a sensible position in many ways for a young, ambitious politician in David Cameron's government. Of course, the UK voted to leave um, instead, and David Cameron resigned. Uh, And when Theresa May took over, he became culture secretary and then became uh, secretary of state for health um, in July 2018. And then, of course, he ran in the 2019 leadership race. Um, In the leadership race, of course, so Boris Johnson ultimately win. So high profile figure um, even before 2020 and when the, of course, the pandemic struck the world. His rise to the top ranks did happen quite rapidly, really, in context. It did. And it's one of those, I suppose, moments looking back where it's sometimes hard to square the modern Matt Hancock, who has been seen perhaps as a figure of fun, a figure of much mockery at various occasions, but someone who, you know, was seen as a leading light. And it's I think it's important to say that, you know, for someone who was elected in, in 2010, to become any kind of minister within within a space of a few years is, is pretty remarkable. Um, and George Osborne more recently um, has really defended um, 
his his former, I suppose, um, protege, as it were, um, or at least former colleague, um, as someone who was you know, a real high flyer and someone who was very impressive. And it's probably worth pointing out that he always did have a flair for publicity. Um, he infamously or famously perhaps launched his own app in 2019, um, becoming the first MP to launch their own personal app, and which of course attracted um, plenty of headlines, um, some critical coverage, some concerns about data privacy, but uh, as I say, um, always very good at attracting publicity. Um, and actually even today, he's uh, pretty popular on TikTok, um, the social media platform with around, I think, 184,000 followers. So not to jump too much over the timeline of his career, but I think even when he started out, he was, he was very good at building a name for himself in British politics. So uh, this brings us to Boris Johnson taking over from Theresa May, let's say, in 2019. And we all know what happened then in 2020. How would you characterise Hancock's handling of the pandemic overall? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, full disclosure, um, when the pandemic struck, I was, of course, at the journal.ie. Um, so it wasn't until more recently that I was properly involved in the, I suppose, the forensic retrospective look back at how Matt Hancock um, handles um, COVID-19. But of course, I think even in Ireland, we knew who Matt Hancock was. There was much, I think, comparison between the UK and Ireland. And in some ways, a bit like Simon Harris um, in Ireland, uh, Matt Hancock became one of the faces um, of the pandemic, someone who was trusted, scrutinized, criticized in various measures and various respects. And of course, some of the same issues dominated, you know, testing capacity, um, questions over you know, testing people before they went into care homes, quite a controversial topic, especially in recent uh, months, um, questions over supplies of PPE, and of course, vaccines, the vaccine rollout famously in the UK was one of the fastest in the world, and Matt Hancock um, really took credit for that. There's quite a famous um, image of him uh, with appearing to cry on live TV when the first COVID-19 vaccines were being administered. So Without um, going too into too much detail, um, there is a sense where he was the face of, of um, the UK's response to the pandemic, for better or for worse, and there certainly has been criticism. Um, I think most uh, listeners will remember Dominic Cummings, um, Boris Johnson's um, notorious chief of staff, uh, give it evidence to MPs uh, what, about a year ago, over two years now, he's described uh, the Department of Health as a smoking ruin after the pandemic hit. So not everyone had favourable things to say, and he still faces plenty of questions, especially over that issue that I mentioned of um, the testing of people when they were discharged from hospitals into care homes. Now, Matt Hancock has, I think, gone to great lengths to defend um, his time as health secretary and pointed to his successes. But I think a lot of people are now waiting for an assessment to come out in the UK's uh, COVID-19 inquiry, which is is ongoing, but we'll really get into, I think, the serious detail in quite a few in a few months' time. And there were some shadows over the issues of medical contracts around the COVID response at that time. Yeah, it's one of those issues that again is overshadowing um, a lot of political debate, even at the moment. I think for a lot of people, you know, you mentioned it there, Laura, that the pandemic can seem like ancient history, but there is ongoing questions about, you know, a VIP lane for um, PPE suppliers, questions over who got contracts and who didn't. Of course, Matt Hancock, as health secretary, um, continues to face 
those kinds of questions. There's one, of course, that the entire Conservative government is also facing. It's probably worth pointing out that, you know, they would deny that there really was this kind of um, VIP lane, that there was any impropriety. And of course, they would say that they were reacting to a, a once in a hundred year pandemic for which there was no playbook. So again, in some ways similar to Ireland in the sense of there is a there was plenty of criticism, plenty of scrutiny, but the government would always insist that what it did, Matt Hancock would insist that what they always tried to do was, was save lives. But as I say, this will, I think what we've seen over the last few days, the last few weeks, especially with the release of these, these stories from the Telegraph and with these WhatsApp messages is a, is a precursor to some of the debates that are going to be, you know, relitigated um, when the COVID inquiry properly um, begins to hear evidence and release evidence. So Matt Hancock himself, nothing if not a colourful, if not divisive character, but what was the tipping point then, Dominic, regarding him resigning? So in June 2021, um, the Sun newspaper splashed on its front page quite a famous image of Matt Hancock uh, in an embrace um, with his aide, Gina Colla D'Angelo, um, in his office um, that appeared to show a breach of social distancing guidelines. Um, so it caused, as you would expect, a political storm. Initially, it was unclear whether he would resign or whether number 10 would back him. But I think it was probably inevitable that he would have to go. A health secretary uh, on the front page of you know, a national newspaper shown to be kissing an aide. Um, it really did raise all those questions and all those issues that cropped up during the pandemic over whether there was, you know, one rule for politicians and another for ordinary people. And so he resigned. He actually revealed recently that his final resignation statement was filmed by, of all people, Boris Johnson um, on a mobile phone. And they had to do repeated takes, I think, because the camera was waving up and down. But again, it, it, it really, you know, ended his his cabinet career. Uh, but as we probably have seen in recent months, not his political career necessarily. Of course, he has announced that he's going to step down at the next election, but he didn't step away from the limelight too long, um, even after that. And there were, were some rumours and speculation, especially when Richard Sunak took over that he might want a, a cabinet position again, that he could be in line for a comeback. But that's maybe jumping ahead a little bit too much. But I think it's probably important to to stress that story came in the broader context of stories like Partygate, uh, Dominic Cummings' own trip to Barnard Castle in um, Durham. So it came as part of a whole raft of stories that seemed to paint the Conservative government in a negative light for its handling um, of the pandemic. But even then, while his 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 uh, time as health secretary came to a quite embarrassing end, he still has continued to you know insist and defend his record. And maybe treating that as a, a separate, a separate downfall to the success he had as health secretary. So he's clearly had a friendly relationship with Boris Johnson along the way. But how deep into the Boris camp is he? Would he like to see him back as prime minister, for example? I don't think he would. Um, Matt Hancock's always been something of a centrist within the Conservative Party, um, and he's definitely not among the MPs who you know, are Boris allies or among the pack who, you know, desperately want to see him reinstalled. He, he backed Richie Sunak in the very first leadership contest last summer. He backed him again in the second. There is quite a humorous video of um, Richie Sunak appearing to snub him as he arrived at Conservative 
HQ after winning that election. But again, he's still been very supportive of the current prime minister. And even when he was on the back benches, even before um, the collapse of Liz Truss and the collapse of Boris Johnson, he was always a, a supportive voice from the back benches. He was never um, someone who was trying to cause trouble or uh, foster any rebellion or resentment of number 10, unlike a good crop of uh, Tory MPs we could all probably think of. God, you really could be forgiven for saying that Matt Hancock is the equivalent of conservative Marmite at this stage. How popular overall would you say he is with the public? That's a good uh, question. Uh, Marmite is certainly one term for it. You know, when he did enter um, the uh, I'm a Celebrity show, which I'm sure we'll get onto in more detail, the deputy chairman of his uh, local conservative association said uh, that he was looking forward to seeing Matt Hancock eat a kangaroo's penis. So that does maybe show the um, Marmite nature, perhaps, of Matt Hancock, even within conservative circles. But more broadly, I think he's certainly among the better known MPs for all kinds of reasons. Of course, the pandemic as health secretary. More recently, I'm a celebrity. And as I said earlier, someone who was always very good at at getting publicity. Um, But I don't know if that translates into a popular or good standing with the general public. I would say he's definitely um, well known among various generations, younger generations, TikTokers, um, older people. But again, as I think as we saw on I'm a Celebrity, he came third, but that also may be a indication of people wanting to put him through his paces on Bush Tucker trials as opposed to anything else. Now he has tried to carve out a niche um, as a backbencher and attract that kind of new audience. He works on issues around dyslexia, uh, which is something that's quite close to his uh, his heart. So yeah, it's hard to know. Um, as I say, uh, he is he's certainly a well-known figure. I'm not sure if that translates into popularity. Um, and I'm not sure if he's flavor of the month in his local West Suffolk Tour Association either after leaving them for I'm a Celebrity. Selling your property? Ask your estate agent for a daft advantage ad today for maximum visibility, best results and best price for your property. Dominic, what possessed him to do I'm a Celebrity in the first place? Was there any real fallout for him making that decision? It's another very good question. Um, It was kind of a remarkable moment. Now, it's not to say that, you know, politicians before have not joined reality TV shows. Um, Nadine Dares, of course, the former culture secretary, in the UK and a Conservative MP in Boris Backer, you know, went time celebrity, plenty of MPs, uh, often in, in, in a kind of post-political career, have appeared on reality TV shows, Ed Balls, um, famously on Strictly. But Matt Hancock's decision, I think, came at a quite um, unstable period, I think, for British politics and for Conservative politics. And it was really a headache that the government and the Conservatives did not want to deal with. And now he said he went on to show the public a different side of politicians, which is, I think, something we hear often when politicians do something slightly left of left of field. Uh, but he wanted to promote the issue of um, dyslexia, supporting people with dyslexia, come across as someone who is more human, but inevitably was controversial, not simply because he was an MP who had a day job representing his um, constituents, but also because I think it was someone who had become a celebrity and attained that, you know, quote unquote, celebrity status um, by virtue of the fact that he was health secretary 
during a pandemic and his handling of that pandemic was necessarily hugely controversial um, and often criticized. So it was, it, I think it raised a lot of hackles for um, some families who'd lost um, you know, family members during the pandemic. Um, I think to the public, it did seem questionable whether he was cashing in on that political celebrity status. Um, but of course, you know, he also got very well paid for it, uh, which I'm sure made it a bit easier for him. And I think he got paid around £320,000, um, which he also did donate some of which to charity, I think around um, £10,000. So, yeah, it, it did seem a strange decision. Um, and I think we all um, got some kind of uh, new experience watching um, the former health secretary and former top politician eat a cow's anus and clash with boy George over um, party politics and his handling of the pandemic. But as I say, as someone who was who had to watch it um, for work purposes, and I stress it was for work purposes, it was quite a strange moment after a quite chaotic um, few months. Um, and it's something you probably will probably not live down for the rest of his uh, career. Absolutely, Dominic. I think strange and surreal is is about is about what would cover it after everything. I mean, obviously, I'm a celebrity. It, it aired towards the end of last year. What has Matt Hancock been doing since? Uh, is his political career effectively over since then? I suppose it, it's it's what you define as a political career. I think to him, it maybe was a new uh, a new path to explore, as he would say, a new way to connect with the public. But certainly. Um, it does seem that his career as a minister ended by that. He, of course, uh, lost the Conservative whip. He now sits as an independent because of that um, decision. And it did prompt quite a bit of mockery from Conservative colleagues um, in Westminster about his decision and plenty of questions about it, you know, whether they would be voting for him to do a Bush trip trial. So it's pretty quite hard for someone to go back after that and see themselves as a, as a serious um, minister and a serious politician. But at the same time, um, that's just one view. But ultimately, he has decided to step down at the next um, general election, which is going to happen in probably around what, 18 months' time or so, slightly less. Um, so it's hard to know where he'll go from here, whether it's going to be more reality TV, whether it's going to be some campaigning work. Um, we really don't know. Um, his political career definitely does seem to be over in the narrow sense of politics. But we don't really know what he might plan to do. He probably will definitely want to still be in the public eye. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, but what he do, does with that publicity um, remains to be seen. And Dominic, this, of course, brings us to why he is in the headlines again. First of all, can you tell us who is Isabel Oakeshott and what's her story and background? So there's probably no one in Westminster who doesn't know um, Isabel Oakshot. And it's probably fair to say that there's actually no one or very few people in the country who aren't aware or have heard of some of her um, reporting or journalism. She's had quite a busy life and a busy career. She's currently a talk TV presenter and she worked with um, Matt Hancock on his um, pandemic diaries, uh, I suppose a retrospective uh, diary account or account of um his time as health secretary and his handling of the pandemic. Um, and she's been involved in quite a few high profile um, political rise, political bust ups, controversial decisions and controversial reporting. During the pandemic, she was quite a strong critic of the lockdown policy. Um, she was very much a Brexit backer. 
And I mentioned the fact that, you know, most people will have known at least part of her contribution to, to British journalism. Um, it was her uh, unauthorised biography of David Cameron that was um, written with uh, conservative donor Lord Ashcroft that contained the very famous and widely spread allegations that linked the former prime minister to a um, the head of a dead pig. But it's fair to say that, you know, she, she does, uh, has faced a lot of scrutiny um, in the past, not just over recent stories. Um, she's currently, I think, reportedly tied in a relationship with um, Richard Tice, who is the leader of the Reform UK Party, formerly the Brexit Party. And she is someone who, who is, again, also like Matt Hancock, very good at attracting headlines. Uh, one British politician described her recently in the wake of this uh, recent row as a terrific journalist, but not a very good friend. So why are we discussing Isabel Oakeshott now? She is sharing the headlines with Matt Hancock. So, as I mentioned, she worked with Matt Hancock on his Pandemic Diaries, um, a book that was intended to give his insider account of his handling of the pandemic. It's probably fair to say um, showed Mr. Hancock in quite a favourable light. But it emerged uh, last week, in a week that was full of other uh, large news stories, that The Telegraph had obtained more than 100,000 WhatsApp messages sent between Matt Hancock and other ministers and officials um, during the pandemic. The Telegraph described it as uh, 2.3 million words, three times as many words as the King James Bible. So in other words, it is a lot of information, a lot of detail. And probably if you were in Westminster and messaged Matt Hancock at any point during the pandemic, quite a frightening prospect. But Isabel Oakeshott handed those messages that she had received from Matt Hancock to write those diaries to the Telegraph. Notably, of course, not to her employer, Talk TV, um, but to the Telegraph. Um, now, Mr. Hancock accused her of uh, breaching uh, an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, accused her of a betrayal. But she said it's very much in the public interest. You know, her position has very much been that, you know, what journalist worth their salt wouldn't if they came into possession of these WhatsApp messages, um, would not publish them. Um, and it has sparked uh, a, a big debate, a big discussion about UK, the UK's pandemic policies. There has been defence from the government. Its line has basically been, you know, we need to wait to the official COVID inquiry. Um, allies of Matt Hancock have described it as a very much a partial account. Um, one minister said it was more of an insight into Matt Hancock's psyche than the British government's um, policy. But it has produced um, you know, days and days worth of headlines, of stories um, in the Daily Telegraph, picked up and covered by various other publications, including um, Press Association, um, that has really pushed back into the into pro public prominence um, debates about the government's handling of the pandemic. And of course, also debates about the widespread use of WhatsApp in Westminster. And these messages are the gift that keeps on giving in terms of revelations. Can you give us a quick synopsis of the most controversial of his messages? Yeah, so it, it's really um, nearly too many um, stories even to um, summarise in this podcast. But um, one of the stories that the Sunday uh, Telegraph, the Sunday version of the Telegraph published was that he told A's in WhatsApp messages that he wanted to, and I quote, frighten the pants off everyone um, to ensure compliance with COVID-19 restrictions. 
and also language over you know when to deploy details of a new strain. There was also um, his mockery and concerns over Richie Sunak's eat out to help out scheme. And that was the, again, quite well publicized scheme to help restaurants bounce back um, after the first wave of the virus. He was concerned from the WhatsApp messages anyway about the scheme actually helping spread COVID-19, a concern I think that a lot of people maybe had afterwards. Um, but someone who's actually in the firing line quite a lot from the messages isn't actually Matt Hancock. It's Simon Case. He's the cabinet secretary, the top civil servant in the country, who has already been you know, under fire and under pressure um, over various controversies and rows from the Boris Johnson era. Um, but at one stage, according to the WhatsApp messages, he described Boris Johnson as a distrusted figure nationally. There's quotes about him suggesting it was hilarious. The travellers were being locked up in quarantine um, hotels. There's also references to Rishi Sunak going bonkers at various stages in relation to NHS um, test and trace guidance for the hospitality sector. So all kinds of stories have created um, awkward headlines for the government and again forced um, a sharp look back at the handling of the pandemic and intra-government um, communication and unity over um, the handling of COVID and of course also questions really more essentially and more fundamentally about the widespread use of WhatsApp by um, government ministers. And Dominic, how damaging will this be for Matt Hancock? It seems at one point when you look at him doing I'm a Celebrity, you'd think, well, that must be the end of him. But here we are again. Will he really suffer after this? It's hard to know. Um, again, he has said that um, all these messages have already been shared with the COVID-19 inquiry. And it's true that we probably will see lots of these debates happening again um, when the COVID inquiry properly starts to you know have the kind of more controversial hearings um and one of the was the the driving forces that led to the leak was that you know people like isabel oakshaw were concerned that this inquiry could drag on for years and years i think we're well aware in ireland of what happens when inquiries can drag on for years and years um and that was one of the driving motivations that led to the leak um, but in some ways, actually, the damage has been probably worse for um, Simon Case, who I mentioned, I would say the top civil servant who was already under pressure for all kinds of various scandals and controversies that plagued, um, especially Boris Johnson's administration. So he's actually probably the person who's most under fire at the moment. And I think the current government position will probably hold that you know the right form of this is not the pages of newspapers, but an actual um, official inquiry. Um, for Matt Hancock, you know, it, it again, I think a lot of people probably have made up their minds about Matt Hancock already, but he still has very forcefully um, rejected and defended um, himself uh, against these claims and some of the revelations. Um, but again, it, it does make it perhaps more difficult for Matt Hancock as he tries to present himself as, you know, one of the great figures and important figures who really you know, led the country out of lockdown and, and got vaccines uh, into people's arms. And he has had defenders, um, you know, George Osborne, um, that former mentor figure, you know, did praise him as someone who was one of the sensible, rational voices in the room. I think there is probably sympathy that this leak of WhatsApps happened, although also questions about why he decided to hand 
um, this considerable chunk of WhatsApp messages to a journalist in the first place. Um, but as I say, it's, it's hard to know where it goes from here um, and for how long we're going to actually have this roller coaster of stories um, about the pandemic and whether they can just go on for eternity. Who knows? And I guess another unknown is what will life after politics hold for Matt Hancock now? It's it's anybody's guess. It is anybody's guess. Um, as I say, I think he will definitely remain or try to remain in the public limelight, whether he wants a career in media. We've seen plenty of, of current and former Tory MPs go to stations like GB News and Talk TV. Um, whether he wants to go down that route, I would probably guess not. Um, but maybe he will do a few more reality TV shows, maybe some campaigning roles. It's very hard to know. Um, it's also interesting you know, to consider that he's not the only um, Conservative MP and a young Conservative MP who's um, who's not standing at the next general election, which of course the Conservatives are currently expected to lose. Um, so he, it's not it's not entirely just Matt Hancock who is maybe swapping a political career for something else, but he's certainly the most high profile. Um, but I suppose it's the same question for plenty of these politicians: what does life hold? Whether he goes back to a more private in a normal life or whether he does try and stay in the public eye. It all remains to be seen. Many thanks, Dominic, for joining us today and for shedding some light on all of this. Thank you. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by Daft Advantage Ads. Looking to sell your property for the best price? Head to www.advantage.daft.ie today for more info on the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Thanks again to PA's Dominic McGrath for joining us today. You've been listening to the Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating where you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.